1 Kings 3. This is a really good crowd for a Mother's Day Sunday evening. And so for those of you that made the effort to come out and be here, thank you so much for making this day about the Lord and not just about mom. So thank you for being here. And that's not a put down on anyone who isn't here, but it is a a hearty thank you for those of you that are here and uh, keeping God at the center and teaching that to the next generation. 1 Kings 3, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. And we'll begin with the first four verses here of the chapter. The Bible says, And Solomon made affinity with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had made an end of building his own house and the house of the Lord and the house of Jerusalem round about. Only the people sacrificed in high places because... There was no house built unto the name of the Lord until those days. Until those days, And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and burnt incense in high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for there was a great high place. A thousand burnt offerings did Solomon offer upon that altar. I want to preach a sermon tonight entitled this, Don't be... A wise fool. Don't be a wise fool. Let's preach. Uh, let's pray, then we'll preach. Lord, thank you tonight for your word. I pray that uh, it would make sense to us. And Lord, may we learn much about Solomon's life from the mistakes that he made. And Lord, may we value our walk with you. Help us, Lord, this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. I want us to look there at uh, 1 Kings 3 closely, because uh, there in the beginning of the chapter, you find what it takes to be successful. Notice here that Solomon spent the good portion of the beginning of his king uh, uh, time being a king, uh, building a house for the Lord and offering sacrifices to the Lord. Why? Because he had a heart of humility. He had a heart of humility. Verse 4 says that, he went to Gibeon to sacrifice there. It says, For that was the great high place, a thousand burnt offerings did Solomon offer upon that altar. Now notice who did the, the sacrificing. It was Solomon. It was Solomon. This was somewhat of a getaway retreat for him from his palace and from the newly built house of the Lord, the newly built temple. And Solomon went to this getaway, and instead of just kicking up his feet and taking it easy, Solomon worked to offer sacrifices unto the Lord. And what a important thing. This is the place where Solomon would find that great wisdom we'll talk about here in the message in just a moment. Now, what I want to emphasize to you this evening is that we know that Solomon is described as the wisest man in the Bible, but... Uh, while he was a man of great wisdom, he also made some of the most foolish decisions recorded in the Scriptures. Especially when you keep in light of the wisdom he had in his head and the decisions that he made. Through the message this evening, we will see how that God took Solomon on an incredible journey. He, however, added some detours. Solomon added detours to his own life that caused him much, much pain. And in my opinion, in my strong opinion, Solomon's poor decision making, Solomon's foolish ways 
began to divide the nation, were the beginnings of the cracks in the foundation of the nation of Israel that would divide it into two kingdoms and would greatly alter and affect uh, that kingdom for many, many generations. You see, in the ten northern tribes of Israel after the split, not one king, not one king would serve the Lord. Oh, if we could go back to Solomon's life and we could get him to live by his wisdom that God had given him. If we could have gotten Solomon to do that, if we could have prevented the beginning of the dividing of the foundation, how many people, how many children that grew up in Israel uh, in those ten northern tribes would have served the Lord in the temple instead of bowing down to some idol of gold uh, in the cities of Bethel or Dan inside of Israel after the divide. Solomon, your decision to stray from the Lord, your decision to serve yourself, your decision to ignore all the wisdom that God gave you. Oh, yes, it hurt you. And yes, it brought vanity in your life. But the effects lasted for generations and generations. And I would say today it is still even in effect. You see, the decisions that you make don't only affect you. They affect your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. You say, well, I don't have kids. Well, I'm telling you, people are watching you and no man lives to himself and no man dies to himself. The decisions you make, they matter. Now, by way of introduction this evening, I want to give you some interesting details on the life of Solomon. According to Second Chronicles 9.13, Solomon had an income of 666 talents of gold per year. Now, I did some math. The average estimated weight of a talent of gold was 33 kilograms. The price today of one kilogram of gold, as of this past Friday, was $44,000. One kilogram is 44000 Each uh, talent of gold weighed 33 kilograms. This means... That Solomon's income in gold alone was $967 billion yearly. There is no human being on the planet, today or ever, that has ever had as much money as Solomon had. Solomon's wealth is well known, but Solomon's prestige went behind wealth that included women. Solomon had a thousand wives, 700 official wives and 300 concubines or a house full of women that was being prepped to become the next wife. Solomon raised money for and constructed a temple uh, valued in excess of a hundred billion dollars. Everything was plated in pure gold. The wood used to build it was the finest wood that could be found. The, 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 uh, the, the temple was worth over a hundred billion dollars. The gold in Solomon's temple alone that we talked about just a moment ago uh, was worth $62 billion. Now, biblically, we know that Solomon lived to be 69 years old and he was the king for 20 years. That means he was 29 years old when he began to rule. And Solomon in his lifetime, he accomplished a lot of good and he accomplished a lot of bad. He did a lot of things that were good. He did a lot of things that weren't so good. I, I propose this evening that the decisions that you make 
reach far beyond what any of us here tonight comprehend. Far beyond. Even those things that you do in private that nobody knows about. Oh, the effects that they have. By the way, those consequences are not just bad. Those consequences are good. Hey, Mom, you're reading your Bible at 5 a.m. while the rest of your family is asleep. That matters. That has an eternal consequence. Dad, that... Those prayers you say while you're laying on your bed at night, falling asleep, and you fall asleep talking to the Lord in prayer, nobody knows about it, including your wife. That matters. That matters. Young lady, the walk with God that you have, that sweet fellowship you have with your Savior, boy, that matters. We choose to do what's right, and it has, it has long-term effects that go well beyond our life and our children's life. It reaches into our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren and generations to follow. The Bible talks about the sin being visited to the third and the fourth generation. And I believe that the righteousness of a mom and dad also can reach into that third and fourth generation. Here's what I also want to say to you tonight. I propose that you can have all of the biblical uh, wisdom that you can glean and gather from the life of studying the Bible. I, I believe tonight, I propose tonight that you can have a head knowledge of what is right and you can still go forth and act like a fool. And tonight I'm here to tell you, don't be a wise fool. You go forth and you behave in a way that's sinful and you have a dozen Bible verses memorized that say not to do the very thing you're doing. You know what you're doing? You're being a wise fool. Wisdom here, foolish in your actions. Wise here, foolish in your actions. And I'm here tonight to encourage you, don't take the wisdom that you have gleaned from living the Christian life and let that go to waste. Let's jump into the outline tonight. Notice number one, his dominion. Speaking of Solomon, his dominion. Look down at verse number eight of first Kings chapter three. The Bible says, and thy servant, this is Solomon speaking, is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Now, notice there, Solomon says, excuse me, Solomon says, thy servant And this servant of God is the leader. He is the leader. Let me just speak for a moment about leadership. Leadership is such an important part of life. So fundamental. Satan knows that if he can water down leadership, he can own a culture and a country quickly. If he can tear down leadership, then he can tear down uh, 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 the the, the civilians and what is civil and what is right. He can tear down ethics and he can tear down duty. If he can tear down uh, uh, that uh, leadership, he can hurt children and he can rip apart families and he can keep people from the gospel and he can bring about his ultimate goal of chaos. Why? Because leadership is such an important part of life. Tonight, I want to tell you that leadership is a valuable thing. And why is that? It is because that leadership is God leasing his power to an individual so that he can lead in his stead. Let me say that again. Please don't miss this. 
Leadership is God leasing to you power so you can lead in his place. Lead in his physical place. Let me illustrate. When I served as an assistant pastor, I served in many different roles. I served as a Spanish pastor. I served as an outreach pastor. One of my favorite titles was a children's pastor. Um, Occasionally, Pastor King, my pastor, would come in and he would speak to the kids on a Wednesday evening in master clubs. Once or twice a year, he would come and speak to the children in master clubs. Now, that, him, him speaking in master clubs to the kids on Wednesday evenings served a multiple purposes. It was him connecting with the youngest audience of the church, which was a vital and important. But it also served as a reminder to me that he is the pastor of the children. Not me. I held the title of children's pastor. But he was their pastor. And what he had done in hiring me was give me, lease to me, his authority to stand up on Sunday mornings and preach to the children while he was preaching in the auditorium. He couldn't be in both places at the same time. So I was there to stand in his place and do it for him. By the way, when I preached in Spanish church, he couldn't preach in Spanish church. Um, with, not without a translator. And I had to remember, he was their pastor, and I was to represent him. I took many sermons that he preached, took copious notes, translated them into Spanish, and got up and told the people, this is Pastor King's sermon to you. I'm just an instrument that's communicating it to you. Why? Because he is your pastor. I'm standing here in his place. Yes, I am the leader in the room. I am the one that's been delegated the authority, but he is your pastor and I simply stand here in his place. Now, that is exactly what Christian leadership is. It is God leasing to you his authority so you can lead that person or those people. Solomon looked out and he saw a great people that could not be numbered and a multitude that could not be counted. And what he saw was an awesome responsibility to lead. To lead. Take your Bibles over to Romans chapter 13 with me if you would. Romans chapter 13. I want you to understand this evening that God values leadership. By the way, one day when Jesus comes back and he rules in Jerusalem for a thousand years, do you know what God's going to do? He's going to gather back to himself all of the authority and leadership that he has leased out to humanity. He's going to gather it from the kings. He's going to gather it from the prime ministers and the presidents and the governors and the mayors and the police chiefs and the fire chiefs. He's going to take it back from everybody and he's going to take it back to himself and he's going to redistribute it accordingly as he rules from Jerusalem. But it will be God's leadership that he collects back and redistributes because ultimately it is God who has dominion and we lead in his stead 
because he leases that out too. It's only Romans 13 verse 1. This is an encouragement to those who are under authority that God has given out. But I want you to see it both ways here. Both the person who has the authority and the person under authority. Look at verse 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. Look here. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. So if you have power in a leadership role, God is the one that has given you that power. It is his power least to you. If you're a husband here and God has called you to lead your wife, it is God who's given you that power. Don't you abuse that. Don't you belittle and bully and put down your wife. You're a husband and wife here and you've got children. It is God who has given you the power to lead those children. Don't you, don't you misappropriate that. Don't you abuse that. You use the power that God has given you to lead those children under your authority accordingly. Uh, you have a leadership role at work. By the way, you might be uh, a contractor. You might have some secular business and you think, well, that doesn't matter because that isn't spiritual. Everything is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. If you hold a position of power, whether you're uh, uh, snaking out a pipe, whether you're building a house, whether you're overseeing uh, uh, the architect, architectural drawings, uh, whether you're overseeing a law firm or a doctor's office, my friend, God has given you that power and He can take it back whenever He wants. It is your job to lead that company the way God would have you lead it. Why? Because all leadership belongs to the Lord and He's given it to us. Here Solomon, he has been given leadership of the entire country. Look back at Romans 13, verse 3. The Bible says, or rather look at verse 2. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Now let me pause there. When Barack Obama was in the White House, did God ordain him? Some of you don't like that. Did God put him there? Donald Trump's in the White House. There's another faction you hear that don't like that. I'm not here to pick sides, all right? Making a larger point. Did God place Donald Trump in the White House? How about Governor Malloy? How about Senator Blumenthal? Now, I've got to be honest. With all of these men, there's a lot of their politics I don't like. But God put them there. Who are you to get on social media and belittle them? Who are you to rip them to shreds? Now, they might act in a godless way. But it is God who has leased his authority to them, not you. And if God wants that power removed, he'll take it back. Don't you go criticizing God's man. By the way, Barack Obama was God's man. Now, I'm not calling him a Christian. I don't think he calls himself a Christian. But in that role, at that time, God chose to put him there. He was God's choice for the office. I've said it before, I'll say it again. One of the reasons why I got off social media is I got sick and tired of watching Christians run the president in the ground. Sick of it. There is hardly a policy that Barack Obama had that I agreed with. But he was God's man for the job. And it was not my place to tear him down. It was my place to pray for him. 
that God would get hold of his heart and God would help him to make the right decisions. Let's look back. Let's look back at verse two again. Romans 13. Keep that thought in mind as we read this verse. Whoso there, whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. I don't want that damnation on me. Verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Now we know that sin gets in the heart of a leader. And sin can distort what he's supposed to do. And can distort how he does it. But nonetheless, it is God's job to punish them when they step out of line. It is not our place to try to punish from below. It's God's job to punish from above. So, um, uh, uh, but, well, let's set that thought to a side here for a minute. Go back to you as a leader in whatever leadership role do you have, even if that just includes leading yourself. Uh, how do you learn to lead properly? No matter what the role is, please understand that when you lead, you are leading in the place of God. You've got a child or a grandchild in the home that you're raising. God has chosen you to lead in a physical manner, just like he would. I was to run the children's ministries of Granite Baptist Church exactly the way Pastor King wanted me to run the children's ministry. I wasn't to bring my program, I was to run his program. I was to run the Spanish church the way he wanted me to. And by the way, he was supposed to get the direction from God... And he was to pass it along to me. Now, he didn't write every sermon I preached, but I made sure I learned his heartbeat. Christian, let me ask you a question. Are you learning the heartbeat of God on how to lead your wife or your kids or at your work? Because that's what dominion is. Who is the king of kings, the lord of lords, the husband of all husbands, the father of all fathers, the parent of all parents? It is God, and he is Least that out to you. His dominion. Number two, looking at Solomon here, notice his distress. Look at verse 7. I love the humility here out of Solomon. Now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father, and I am but a little child. I read this verse a lot when I was first voted in as pastor. I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. The thought that one person is looking to you for guidance through life. That can be a scary thought. Can't it? At the least, it is a sobering thought. The thought that I will give account to God, me and God, one on one. Just me in the sight of God. Nobody else standing next to me. I will give account to God for one day how I led that gal right there. That by itself is intimidating. But then you add to that these two little ones around her. I'm going to give an account to God one day for how I led them in God's place. Now, in my situation, I'm also going to give account to God one day how I led this church. All of you. That terrifies me. 
the Bible says our God is a terrible God or uses that adjective terrible, it doesn't mean he's in the sense we use it. It means it's terrifying. It's sobering. It's, it's an awesome fear. I hope what I'm doing tonight is I'm helping you to see just how important it is that you lead God's way, not your way. Now, Solomon. Let's look at Solomon here for a minute. Solomon was facing a scary proposition. He was the king and leader of a nation and people so great that he could not even get an accurate census of how many of them there were. Solomon throws himself down after all of these sacrifices at Gibeon. Solomon is exhausted. Solomon retreated to Gibeon because he felt overwhelmed by the role and responsibility of leadership. And after all of these sacrifices, he throws himself down on his face and he cries out to the Lord. And in essence, what he says is, I barely know my way around my own palace. How am I supposed to lead these people? In essence, what Solomon was saying was, I can't even lead myself when things get tough. How am I supposed to lead all of these people that come to me with their problems? How am I supposed to know what to do? How am I supposed to know how to help them through a hard time when I barely know how to lead myself through a hard time? And you get the sense here that Solomon is under great duress. But Solomon, I'll give you high praise. You ran to the right place. You called out to the right person in your distress. And James 1, James chapter 1 verse 5, which will be written many years later, tells us that if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which uh, uh, giveth liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given unto him. Solomon went to the right place for that wisdom. Let me ask you a question this evening. Have you gotten to the place where being a husband is just old hat? Yeah, I've been married for 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years. I got this down. God, I don't need your help. Shame on you. You're to lead that woman the way God leads the church. You're to love her the way God loves the church. Are you regularly on your face asking God to help you? Hey, Mom, hey, Dad, are you on your face asking God for His wisdom and leading your children? Do you have time in the week where you cry out to the Lord? You say, but, but, but right now it's not tough. If you're not praying and crying out when it's easy, you're not going to cry out when it's tough. Maybe when it gets really tough. Well, what happens is if we're leaning on our intellect when it's easy, then we lean on our intellect when it gets tough. And then we only come running to the Lord when things are so tough our own intellect doesn't work. What does Psalm 127 tell us? Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. You build a house on your own, it's going to fall. Hey, Sunday school teacher. Hey, assistant pastor. Hey, deacon. Are you leading in this church through your wisdom or through the Lord's wisdom? Are you crying out to him regularly and asking him to, uh, what to teach in your Sunday school class and how to lead those that look up to you in the church and those that come to you for advice and counsel? Are you giving them your life experiences? Are you giving what you learn out of a textbook or out of some book somewhere? Or are you giving them what comes from the Bible and what comes from your personal walk with the Lord and through your own prayer time? Notice number three, Solomon's discernment. 
his discernment. Look, down, look back with me at 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 8. The Bible says, And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people. They cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. God, therefore, uh, thy, uh, give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern, I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this, uh, thy so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing and hast not asked thyself long life, neither hast asked riches for thyself, nor hast uh, asked the life of thine enemies, but hast asked for thyself understanding to, and underline these words, discern judgment, discern Judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither shall uh, thee, uh, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. And I have also given unto thee which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor, so uh, that there shall not be any among the kings un- unto thee all thy days. And if thou wilt walk in my ways to keep my statutes. And my commandments as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days. Solomon was brought to his knees in a moment of being overwhelmed in his leadership role. Solomon goes from having very, very little leadership responsibilities to being the king of a country. Solomon's overwhelmed by what he's been given. So what did Solomon do when he first became king? Well, David, his father, had laid out for him a plan to build a temple. Had already started accruing money, saving money. So Solomon knew he needed to do that, so immediately Solomon built the temple. And then after he got that checked off the list, he turned around and he was lost on what to do next. And here he has people pouring into his throne room and needing advice and needing uh, uh, discernment and judgment on matters. And David, I believe, or rather Solomon, I believe at some point, uh, had a, a line of people maybe lined up asking for his help and he became overwhelmed. I know where Solomon uh, is there. There have been days where my phone has rang and people are yanking on me and people need the pastor and I want to be here for him. There have been many days where I've closed the door and turned off my phone and laid flat on my face in my office and said, Lord, I don't know what to say to these people. I don't know how to help them. Will you please come help me? And Solomon found himself here. Solomon cries out to the Lord and the Lord says to Solomon, Solomon, ask me one thing and I'll give it to you. God made that statement knowing what Solomon would say. And Solomon said, I ask for your discernment. I ask for your wisdom. I need you to help me make right decisions. And God said, Solomon, I'm going to give you so much wisdom, more than anybody before you sat, and more than anybody after you will ever have. You are going to be the wisest man to ever walk the earth. Wisest human being ever to walk the earth. Solomon, I'm so pleased with what you've asked, uh, uh, with what you've asked. I'm also pleased with what you didn't ask because you didn't ask for riches and uh, your enemy's head and long life. I'm going to give you these things. The long life will, you'll, I'll give you on a conditional promise that you walk in my ways. Solomon, we know about his discernment. Solomon would walk out of, walk off of Gibeon, walk back in his throne room, and right after this we get the story about the two women fighting over the baby, and Solomon says, cut the baby in half! And the mom says, no, just give it to the other lady. And he says, that's the mother, let her have it. 
Everyone was wowed at Solomon's discernment. Why? Because it wasn't his. It was from the Lord. When you leave by God's discernment instead of your own, incredible things happen. This morning I spent a lot of time talking about my mom. My mom's a very godly and wise woman. My dad also is a good, godly man who's filled with wisdom from on high. Very smart man. Intellectually, very intelligent. High IQ. I've been raised around the Bible in church. I've memorized a lot of scriptures from the time I was little. I was taught the scriptures before I could even read them. What I find myself doing is counseling others based on what I know, not what God says. That's dangerous. I mean, let, me, let me back that statement a little bit. What I have found myself doing in the past is counseling others. What I've had to learn is not to do that. Not to do that. His wisdom is infinite. Mine is small. Mine is small. Now, here's the crux of the message tonight. Number four, let's look at Solomon's downfall. Solomon's downfall. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Here we find Solomon approaching the end of his life. Before we read Ecclesiastes 2, let me explain to you that Solomon took the wisdom that God gave him. And instead of using it to better himself and his family spiritually, he used that wisdom to better himself financially. He used that uh, wisdom to uh, allow his flesh to have more fun. He, uh, he, he used that wisdom in a way that was carnal, that did not please the Lord. In a good chunk of Solomon's life, he used the wisdom that he had to live like a fool. At least a spiritual fool. Look at uh, chapter 2, verse 2. And we see here what happens when we use wisdom uh, in a way that it's not meant for. Verse 2, I said of laughter, this is Solomon at the end of his life, I said of laughter, it is mad, and of mirth, what doeth it? I sought in my heart to give myself unto wine, yet according, um, yet acquainting mine heart with wisdom, and to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was the good for the sons of men, which uh, they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. Look back at, uh, look back at there at verse 3. It says there, uh, yet acquainting my heart with wisdom. So he's using wisdom uh, and to lay hold on folly. He's taking his wisdom and he's using it to grab a hold of folly. He's, he's doing sin in a way uh, uh, that is mixed with wisdom. He's using his wisdom to, 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 to maximize his foolishness. Verse 4, I made me great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards, I made me gardens and orchards, I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruits, I made me pools of water to, 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 um, to water wherewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house. Also I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasure. So now he's a collector of kings and of the provinces. I got me men's singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical entrance and that of all sorts. Imagine being so rich that you could say in a, in a moment where you're having a bad day, hey, bring the choir in here and have them sing this for me right now. 
well, you know what, that was good, but I need the orchestra in here as well. And you have a whole choir and orchestra that just sits on the side practicing, waiting for your beck and call. And you may not call them for a year. You may call them five times in a day, and they got to be right there. Imagine being so rich that you could pay all those people that much money just to have that at a moment's call. Now, that's where Solomon was. Look at verse 9. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Notice that. My wisdom remained with me. He just got through describing how wasteful and foolish he lived. But the Bible says he never lost his wisdom. The wisdom was with him. Verse 10, And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. Maybe that's why he had a thousand wives. I withheld not my heart from any joy. From my heart rejoice in all my labor, and that was my portion of all my labor, so that there was none, none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. And I have also given thee that uh, which thou hast not asked. I'm sorry, I, my apologies, I got my pages mixed up here. Is that right? I printed my notes here. All right, here's the point. God gave Solomon wisdom, and Solomon took the wisdom that God gave him, and he accomplished sin. He used his wisdom to live a life of folly. Live a life of folly. Now, I've got to say tonight that on one hand, I would love to be able to go to the Lord in prayer and say, Lord, I'm going to pastor White Oak Baptist Church for the next 30 or 40 years. Lord willing. If it's your will. I'm going to be married to Angela for the next 50 years, I pray. I'm going to be these two youngins' parents for a long time. Could you right now give me all the wisdom I need so that I know how to counsel every marriage perfect that's struggling? I know how to help every teenager decide a career path when they come to me. I know how to help every young person who's looking at a potential marriage to know whether they should or should not marry that person. I know how to uh, counsel every deacon who's trying to grow in the Lord. and I know how to help the assistant pastors as they're growing in their knowledge and their preparation for the, uh, uh, for the ministry of full-time, uh, the full-time lead position of a pastorate. And I, I, Lord, I would love to have all the wisdom to know how to lead and love my wife perfectly and lead and love my children. Lord, just dump that down on me. But the flip side of the coin is that I am so glad that God does not work that way with me. You know, God gives me His wisdom in in sections, in portions. I may have used this before, but boy, it's so good, and it needs to be repeated, and you all need to be reminded, and I need to be reminded. God's wisdom is like a loaf of bread. Every morning I get up, and one of the first prayers I pray is, Lord, I have no idea who or what I'm going to encounter today. I don't know what struggle is in front of me. I don't know what hurting person you're going to bring in my path. I don't know what emergency I'm going to deal with. I don't know what uh, what pr- pride is going to enter a situation and cause conflict. Lord, would you give me your wisdom so I know how to handle today's circumstances. Now, here's what I want you to get from the message tonight. 
that time walking with God is more important than the wisdom that God gives me. That time asking God for His wisdom is a time where me and God bond. You see, Solomon went to God and asked Him for wisdom once and never had to go back again. And for years, Solomon turned his back on God and had all the wisdom he needed but had no relationship with God to keep him right. I believe that's why God threw that there in 1 Corinthians 3, or rather 1 Kings 3, and said that if you will walk in my ways, if you will keep my statutes, then I will lengthen thy days. He incentivized the walk, but Solomon did not bite, and Solomon died a young man. We have three groups of people in here tonight. We have those of you that are just wandering through life aimlessly. You just take it as it comes. You don't ask God for wisdom. You just rely on your own life circumstances. Your marriage is a mess. Your parenting is a mess. Your life is a mess because you're trying to do it your broken way. You're not really praying and asking God for His wisdom. We have another group of people in here that you ask God for wisdom occasionally. Casually. It's on your radar sometimes, but not like it ought to be. Your walk with God is hit or miss. Then we have another group tonight, I believe, here of men and women who fall on their face regularly and beg God for His wisdom. My friend, don't be a wise fool. How many of you here have had, at some point in your life, have made some effort to memorize the Scriptures? Can I see your hand? then if your hand was raised, then I can tell you this. You have God's wisdom right here in your head. If you're living in contradiction to what you know, then you are being a wise fool. Being a wise fool. Fall on your face before God and ask Him not to let you live that way. Number five, and lastly, notice Solomon's diploma. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Look at verse number 13. Solomon learned the hard way. Oh, he had it all. And in the Ecclesiastes, the main word, the theme word is vanity. He said it was all vain. It meant nothing. I had money. I had prestige. I had power. I had uh, all of the wives a man could want. Uh, I was, I was uh, the, the, the top guy. I had it all. And I, it was all vain. And Solomon comes back around and he says, let me tell you, let me tell you what life is all about. Verse 13 of Ecclesiastes 12, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man or mankind. You don't need money to fear God, but you do need to walk with him to fear him. You don't need power and prestige to keep His commandments. But you do need to have a right relationship with Him to do that. Christian, do you fear God? Do you keep His commandments? Are you leading in His place? Are you leading the way that He would lead. 
Is there in you a desire to do it God's way? Is there in you tonight a desire to walk with God and beg Him for His wisdom? Don't you go through life. Don't you uh, 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 try your very best on your own to answer the problems in front of you and handle the issues in front of you. You fall on your face before God and you say, God, in the good times and in the bad, I need Your wisdom pouring in me and through me to both know how I should act and how I should handle myself and, Lord, how to help others in front of me. It's high time tonight that we said, God, I'm going to lead your way. I'm going to love your way. And I'm going to let my righteousness have eternal consequences, have long-lasting consequences on my family for generations to follow. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed tonight. Lord, would you help us to be people who walk in your wisdom? Would you help us to be people that come to you daily and regularly and beg you For your wisdom. May we walk in your steps. May we lead as though you were in our place. May we get your heartbeat. Help us, Lord, to be people that are wise. Not to live like wise fools. In Jesus' name. Let's stand to our feet. How about it tonight, Christian? You leading the way God wants you to lead? You trying to lead in your own strength and power and might? You say, oh, well, it's a business. It doesn't matter. Oh, it matters. Oh, I've been married 30 years. I've got this figured out. No, 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 no. Every day is a new challenge. Yeah, I know how to be a mom, a dad. No, 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 no. Each day, each day God needs to give you a new set of wisdom. Each moment, each moment.